Next on the Well of Sound. What you see is what you get. Tina Turner. What you see is what you get. Rock doesn't have many villains, but Ike Turner is on the list. He's like, maybe top of the list. What do we got? Gary Glitter is the colonel to a lesser degree, yeah. uh, but not many, right? The list is not very long, but Ike jumps out at you. I mean, Ike is, um, yeah, you, Hollywood couldn't create a better one. You can't really talk about rock and roll, it turns out, without talking about Ike Turner in a lot of ways. And I didn't realize that. No, total discovery for me. Going in, that Ike Turner was there at the ground floor. As you as you listen to Tina talk about Ike throughout the years, like in the later book that she wrote, she sort of talks about Ike's childhood and yeah. his father who got beat up by a bunch of white guys. Which I was really looking for. I wanted to sort of hear her talk about the kernel of anger that drives this man or drove this man yeah so yeah you're right um he's right there at the beginning with uh rocket 88 you women have heard of jalopies you've heard the noise they make but let me introduce my new rocket 88 yes it's great just one way everybody likes my rocket 88 baby we'll ride in style moving all along Jackie Brinston and his Delta Cats get credit for um, the song that, itself, but yeah. essentially it's 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 kind of a super group of, of the time of, of Sun Studios. And when um, so when crew. I when I visited Sun Studios yeah. earlier this year, uh-huh. um, one of the things before they play you anything by Elvis or anything by Johnny Cash, um, one of the things they play you the very first thing they play you is like here's the first rock and roll record ever made. And they play you Rocket 88, and they say that's actually Ike Turner who wrote and produced that. That's his band from, uh, you know, Clarksdale. Called the Kings of Rhythm. Called the Kings of Rhythm that were rebranded for the purpose of the single. Yeah. And um, they they say this is the first rock and roll record. That's in dispute. I mean, when exactly did R&B meet country western and the sort of that weird soup that happens? But it's certainly right among the top. For and sure. So all of a sudden you're sitting there. That, that was one of the reasons when we thought about doing this episode. I thought, well, I know that there's... Uh, we're going to find out some things about Ike Turner that are... Um, very upsetting, but also um, we're going to find out that the roots of this guy go deep. It turns out then he went on and he was the guy who discovered Howlin' Wolf. And he what? was the guy who, um, there's he, countless discoveries of like these early blues artists. Basically, the people heard Rocket 88, they're like, hey, is there anyone else in Mississippi oh. we should know about? And he's like, well, let me introduce you to like Junior Parker. And they all sort of say he really knew what he was doing and he was this band leader who this is pre James Brown and he's he's the house producer basically for for Sam Phillips for a lot of these early years they right say that and runs a tight ship and at that time is mostly playing keyboards and you know apparently he met Elvis when Elvis was a truck driver oh wow yeah and Elvis like would come to the gigs to hear them play right um, and he's like this this white guy who's in the corner 
and Ike was Just a lot studying. of times. You're right. He was always on piano, and he's not known as a, he's known as this incredible guitarist and band leader, right? Not as the piano piano player. Right. So yeah, Sonny Boy Williamson. He was responsible for getting him recorded. Oh my God, Howlin' Wolf. I think he was partially responsible for getting Elmore James. Um, he played on early BB King sessions. So it's like, it's like yeah, it's, it's the scene, right? If we talk about um, well in a a little bit it will come up the the british invasion scene um but this is its own um thing that's happening this network of musicians that are all sort of cross-pollinating and and the whole deal and then he ends up in st louis mainly uh Mm -hmm. gigging and sort of is is a is a big dude in st louis on the music scene and sort of going head to head i think with uh, uh an early version of chuck berry's band um and that's where Tina Turner, well... Anna Mae Bullock. Anna Mae Bullock enters the scene. So Anna Mae uh, is watching the Kings of Rhythm on stage. She goes there often with her sister, and, and Ike and the, and the, the boys um, have a habit of bringing, picking the most beautiful girl in the audience and bringing her up in, on stage to, to yeah. sing a few lines from no, their song. No ulterior motive. Right. No, yeah. not, nothing at all. <laughs> um, and that night, basically, Anna Mae had, had seen this happen many times before, and she's ready um, for her moment. And uh, when they call her sister up, her sister refuses. I guess she was dating somebody in the band. Mm-hmm. Um, she refuses and Anna Mae jumps at the opportunity, takes the mic, and starts hauling off on a song. I think it's B.B. Uh, King's song, You Know I Love You. That's right. And she, of course, everyone's jaw drops. Right. Because this woman has such presence, such pipes. Right. And I, while I know he had to coach her on stage presence and things, it, you get the sense that Tina just had star quality oozing out of her pores. And Ike naturally <laughs> goes... Where's the money? <laughs> I, <laughs> I see talent. Yep. How can I use it? Well, hey, we, you got to hand it to him. He saw talent. Yes, like, that is and true. He saw it everywhere. He was very rarely wrong about this stuff, right. it turns out. Yeah. And so he gets her to kind of join, and, and she sort of starts to sing occasionally, right? And right. Not every night, but then slowly, uh, I think they, she gets on record with them in like 1958, Okay. Um, but nothing really moves, and he's still sort of alternating her with other vocalists until 1960, right? Which is the the great song, "A Fool in Love," which people know. Right, and so basically, a, a, a guy named Art Lasseter was was scheduled to do the vocals on that track. He didn't show, and uh, and Ike said, "Tina, why don't you stand in for it?" And and knowing that Tina. She already had a habit of 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 having a masculine style to her vocals because all 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 the people she she worshipped um, were men. Is there anybody you can point to uh, that uh, you listened to as a kid and wanted to sound like? Oh uh, yeah, Ray Charles, Sam Cooke. I've uh, I, I never started want to be you know real feminine. Yeah. You know, like the girls singers, and all. I sort of wanted to, you know, really. Yeah. Well, because when I started singing, uh, I had, you know, mostly male um, uh, singers, and um, I wanted to sound like they sound. So, I mean, I've been singing all my life, but when I started yeah. singing with him, I wanted to sound like them, and then with uh, liking Ray Charles and all, I just sort of went right along. I never had have had a lot of uh, female uh, yeah. favorites. 
and right. she nails this fool in love. Although, and and they decided to just use the dump, what was it going to be a dummy vocal, and they put it out. And it's this huge smash song. The, the pop charts were very heavily segregated at this point, right? And you have Tina, um, who's catching the world on she's fire, catching the world. Although they wouldn't have another hit like this for a long time, right? Um, but this is the song. I love this man, and I don't know why. I think I feel this way to the day I die. My heart broke. You just uh-huh. You know you did. Just one more time. You got faith to lie. Jim, Jim, I And now we can now we can sort of get into the music. More. Yeah, I mean, I think it's like they have a bunch of singles at this point. That's 1961, though, Lex. I mean, that's not um, you know when we think about a lot of these artists of that generation, you're thinking they're starting like I always sort of punctuate it with the Beatles in 1963, thinking about when that generation of artists. Right. But she predates that. Right. Ike certainly predates it. Right. He's really with pre Elvis. Then, uh, but Tina, 1961 is their big hit, and there's Man. not. And then uh, there's a there's a follow up hit that does pretty well, and they're touring like I mean they tour, I don't know, 300 days a year or something like that during this time. It's it's totally crazy. I mean, that's the thing. So once uh, once Ike realizes that she's his new ticket everything changes according to Tina. Yeah. Um, he's, she's a commodity to him. He realizes her voice. He can't sing, um, not in a way that's ever going to succeed. Um, so he, he creates a name for her, mm-hmm. Tina Turner. Yeah. Tina, which rhymes with Sheena, which was Sheena of the jungle, <laughs> uh, like a DC comic or something at the, at the time. She was into, um, and then, a, but, he gives, they're not married yet. He gives her his name and he changes the name of uh, the Kings of Rhythm to the Ike and Tina Turner Review. Yep. So he's tied to her. Um, she would say to control her. Yes. Like once he realizes how psychologically he's, he's, he's this is part of his. She says he calls her his million dollars. His million dollars. He was an educated smart man, but he has a common sense and a, and a really strategy and con. So he owned you. Yes. He owned so he came back. I didn't even know that that was the name on the record. And so I started to feel something and he started to touch me. I really didn't like it because that was my brother. That was my friend. Actually, maybe I wouldn't have been here today if we had not if I had not got a relationship with him because we were very close as friends. So then I said to, to the woman that was helping him at the time, I said, I don't, I don't want to do this. I knew how Ike was. He had beat, yeah. he always fought. He always fought women, men, everybody. And my instincts told me I was moving into something that wasn't going to be good. So then he said, she said, I want to see you. So I went into his room and he started that. He had a, a sick way, I found. He started it with, what are you trying to do to me? Yeah. And then the next thing, he would pick up something. Because, you know, if you play guitar, you can't fight and play the guitar. So he always fought with something. Yeah. And then against the, against the head, always the head, with a shoe stretcher. And I had never the been beaten. Sh- the wooden shoe a stretcher? A wooden shoe stretcher. Yeah. And it really hurt. 
but I was still trying to figure out what was happening. And then, so then, the, the beating came. You know, yes, you're like all the rest. And I was down by then, really starting to cry. And then he said, get in bed. Yeah, it's dark. And she then, then they do get married, though. He takes her to Tijuana and realizes that it, that kind of would sell more or that um and and she was she was really young at this point and she's mm-hmm. taken in by it and you know Ike did teach her everything she does say that you know she graduated from the Ike Turner Academy he did mm-hmm. teach her everything she knew she had this dream of being a singer and he really did make that happen and yet he felt like he owned her and he was such a I mean one of the reasons he likes the the studio so much is because he's such a control freak or which came first that you makes know sense. um and uh, he realizes that Tina sort of blows people away everywhere, and he's he constantly telling her about all these former singers who've left the band. Yeah. In order to like you know he's guilt tripping. You can't do it too. Yeah. And yet he's carrying on with other women even when they're married. So this is the thing that strikes me about their songs um, right at the beginning here, uh, that back and forth about the the theme of your man's cheating on you and 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 how do you handle it and he still loves you um but you're jealous all these things are over and over they are the inspiration for these songs they're they're versions of every hit that or not hit but every song they put out is is about infidelity I mean, keeping your man losing your man you know how, why do you what if he's such a good man, why does he treat you like he does? Like that's, right. that's basically the chorus to fool in love. Right. And it can, I mean, what are, what are the other early songs that you really like? So like? there's, um, I think a letter from Tina is, is interesting. Do you know that one? No, tell me about it. So it's, it's Tina talking to the Ikeettes who we can talk about in a second. Um, but it's this back and forth and, and she's, she's airing her grievances mm-hmm. a, about her man, which is Ike. You keep on worrying me. Be gone. You keep on me, and you'll be left alone. I'm almost, I'm almost crazy, dear my man. I know you'll probably think silly of me for what I'm about to say, but this, this has been on my mind for quite some time. First. First, I want you to help me to understand. Understand the things you do that hurts me so. There should be no doubt whether or not I'll understand. Because, because honey, I love you. And my love for you hides all faults. You see? <laughs> I mean, there's softballs in there. Yeah, <laughs> it's, it's crazy. But eventually, um, you know, we're going to get to I'd rather see him dead. Do you know that one? Yeah, here, let me play that one. I've got a man He plays around I tell you this man I'ma have to lay him down Cause if I can't have him I ain't gonna let him have nobody else Before I let him walk on me 
But I mean, a lot of this early stuff, you know, in the movie, what's love's got to do with it. She, at one point she insults Ike by saying all his songs sound the same. Yeah. And there is a little bit of a sameness to this. And, sure. And you know, one thing, uh, you know, that we've talked about in trying to prepare this episode, it's, their catalog is in such disarray, clearly because uh, of legalities, and they were on so many different they have labels. Like ten labels across the sixties. Ten labels, and so you don't know what you're getting. There's no great collection with incredible liner notes. There's mm-hmm. it, that some of that stuff comes later, mm-hmm. but it's hard to know exactly what came first. We know that he's Ike is in the studio writing all the time. Yeah, when he's not you know, fooling around. That's right. his, that's his, that's their constant word for it. Yeah. 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 Uh, but, um, it, it does have a slight sameness to it in that it's sort of R and B bluesy rock and roll stuff. But I think that there's a lot of innovation going on in when you listen as, as it, as it progresses, it's got this like funky sort of fuzzy vibe that is, is awesome. Some of his instrumentals are incredible. We've been talking about his instrumentals that you almost, the more you get to know him, what's, which one's your favorite? I mean, there's, um, I like, so funky bull is basically what becomes not Bush city limits. Um, but, uh, sliding is really good. And then let's listen to white on what, white, white on white. I think we've just skipped a few years there, but still, that's the kind of you don't think that's of where that. He's when headed, you think of, and that's what he's thinking about. I mean, all that time in the studio is is like he's noodling with with stuff, and then she's innovating as well. I feel like you, in those early vocals, um, she's emulating male singers. She's got kind of a Coco Taylor like blues thing happening at times. She's got you know the the Spectre sound a little bit. She does the girl stuff back and forth with the Iquettes. Um, but it's, I, I think it really locks in, um, when they really start grooving and just, they're just going, they're doing a new show every night. I wonder if, uh, uh, Swamp Dog's parents, uh, housed, uh, the Ike and Tina Turner review <laughs> at their sure place they, they in Portsmouth. Um, but she, I think she's really trying to, to, to figure it out and she's got her stage act and you know also she has no money ike has all the money and doles it out to her she's essentially she calls herself a cinderella but she's a slave i think the earlier stages was more much more fun than when i actually became when it became ike and tina turner because uh, and the first stages when the glitter dresses the high heel shoes the gloves and riding in a cadillac and the fur that was when i really felt like a star and then, of course, when I came, became the mistress wife or, and the slave girl, all of that started meant nothing because standing on stage, I was depressed about the offstage life, so nothing meant anything to me on stage. And, and then there was the, the pressure of having to make sure I was singing as I wanted. I mean, at a, at a certain point in the 60s, they were going toe-to-toe with James Brown's show mm-hmm. which is major like you go to see Ike and Tina Turner and that's, that's what rock show. and roll that's a show man that's a show and they have different sorts of people come up and we, you know, we, we talk about the Ikeettes there's a little bit there's a there's yeah. the original Ikeettes uh, and then there's sort of a revolving door of uh, whoever there's like 40 Ikeettes Ike in, in, is in, sleeping in. with I mean it's a it's a, um, it's a 
funny. I mean, it's a kind of a sad name in that it really was the Ikeets. Yeah, yeah. It was not the Teenets. Right. There's an obligation there. Yeah, and but there's some famous women that cycle through. I mean, I remember I remember reading about P.P. Arnold, mm-hmm. who was only in it for a little while, but she toured England with them when they toured with the Rolling Stones. The Rolling Stones loved Ike and Tina Turner, and um, P.P. Arnold, you know, got discovered and then she sort of went on her own and became angel of the morning she did the she did the first version of first cut is the deepest that cat wow. that stevens before he even um before he even released it himself like 1965 oh, she wow. does a version of the first cut is the deepest which is great and the english just love pp arnold she goes on as she, yeah. uh, Barry medicated Gibb. goo she does yeah by traffic she yeah. she has a and uh barry gibb of the bgs produces a whole or half a record of hers while the bgs are broken up during the end of the 60s and then Derek and the dominoes play on the back of a bunch of her stuff and she's the backup singer on countless amazing records but she got her start at the ike uh turner academy of uh, performing arts as it were but these um and, and, but exactly what Ike is. is both sleeping with all these women and bossing them around, but they're also their only support structure, and so they're sort of friends right. with each other. And uh, you read about, um, you know, you, you know who else was an Iket? Uh, there's a handful. There's Joe Armstead, um, who goes on to work with Ashford and Simpson, and her songs are actually pretty awesome um and but then gloria jones is the one that caught my eye oh i didn't know who is mark boland's uh was her his girlfriend and and the mother of his child um and she does uh tainted love for the first time the 80s tainted love that we all know she did a 60s version of tainted what yeah um how about the only white i guess yes Bonnie Bramlett of, of Delaney and Delaney. Bonnie. I love only you know and I know, baby. I, I liked, love that. Song. I like Delaney and Bonnie, but I she do. was an Iket. I know. And basically, once they they got so much racial trouble about it by the integration, oh really? They were just like, this isn't worth it to us. Ike sort of fired her because it wasn't going to work out I to see. have her. But she like begged her mother to become an Iket. Oh my God, Bonnie Bramlett. That's amazing. So. uh they're doing their thing and they're becoming what they're becoming the show that artists want to see as well as fans and they get on the radar of the Rolling Stones and then they tour with the, with the Stones as you, as you mentioned and you, you know having big hits during this time they're 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 they're, they're, they're on TV like yeah. occasionally um but you know I, f- I feel like the 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 big realization for me and you can see it happening you can see uh Mick Jagger going from slapping a tambourine in front of his band to like rooster walking across the stage. And where do you think he learned that? Tina Turner. In the beginning, when we first worked with him overseas in 66, I used to watch him standing in the wings and I didn't know why, you know, why he was looking. And then I started watching him. He was just doing the tambourine thing at first, you know, just beating on the floor with the tambourine. He'd tear up one and he'd get another, another one. And so when he came to the States and worked with him. Here he was all over the stage and I said, aha, now I know what he was doing. Um, and all of this leads up though to Phil Spector taking yes. notice. I mean, we got to get into Phil Spector because, you know, when we talk about the list of rock and roll villains, I mean, uh, a lot of people would say he should be on How there. could we have forgotten? <laughs> I mean, I was thinking to myself, this poor woman who's so talented has the the the, the bad luck uh, to be associated with Ike Turner and then her big break or her second <laughs> big break comes with Phil Spector and oh. 
I happen to be a, you know, this, the question of separating the art from the artist is a big one for me, mainly because I love Phil Spector right. I mean, so much. And Phil Spector is a convicted murderer, as people know, and he's mm-hmm. insane. And he's, the amount of stories about him is just being a cruel kind of awful guy. Um, and thankfully she didn't, according to her story, she didn't have to deal with any sort of murderous rages uh, from, from Phil. I think things no. went fairly smoothly, although he was odd. Although he was odd, but yeah. he had to pay $25,000 so that Ike would not have, would have nothing to do with it. Which is, fan- I mean, it's amazing because what we see along the way is uh, uh, Tina has these moments of essentially escape from Ike. Mm-hmm. And this is the first one where she gets away Ike is complicit. He takes the money and she goes with Phil and records with him. But she's finally, she met Ike when she was 17 and has been controlled by him. And now she's in a different space and is learning from someone else and getting the opportunity to, to, to be herself. Yeah. And Phil, like basically she says kind of strips her of all of the, the Ike, you know, the ooing and eyeing and a lot yeah. of the improvising and basically the R&B. Yeah. Phil keeps saying, just sing the melody of the song. It's the song he wants her to sing. is the song that no one else could really sing. It was, he, was, he really saw it as his masterpiece at the time, River Deep Mountain High. Let's I think hear it. Let's, let's, let's play River Deep Mountain High. When I was a little song that I got to just sing and uh, it was an experience it was when we went into the studio there were about 75 musicians and he tore up the, the charts and because it wasn't what he wanted and he just sort of did the arrangement right there verbally mm-hmm. to all those people now, is it true that because of this song he sort of left recording for a while I never spoke to, to him about it, but it, it is known in the business that he was so upset with America because, you know, they wouldn't accept it because black stations said it was, it was too pop and the pop stations said it was too black uh-huh. and it had no home and Phil was just very upset about it. And He thought that this was going to be the ultimate, the ultimate state-of-the-art song of the day. It is in Europe, yeah. all over Europe. Yeah, it, it was is. a big hit, right? Yes, yeah. huge. And it just didn't make it in America ever. Because Spectre was on, you know, he'd had like 23 or something like that consecutive chart hits. He was he was also known as a kind of a tough customer. 
and uh, he liked to be in complete control. He really played the studio. He's got this thing called the Wall of Sound, which is really uh, using an enormous amount of instruments, an enormous amount of singers. Like there's like 25 backup singers on River Deep Mountain High, and then recording them with a lot of echo, so that and then and close together, so that all the sounds bleed into one huge monumental sound. So it sounds less like because uh, people ask, I've, I've asked what the Wall of Sound. Is. It sounds less right. like individual instruments playing and more like this monolithic. Mm-hmm. Wagnerian mass of sound and he knew Tina had the kind of voice that could stand up to it but he wanted it to be nothing but melody and so he records River Deep Mountain High but the disc jockeys uh, are so sick of Phil Spector and sort of being bullied by him and a lot of people in the music biz apparently they see it as their opportunity to kind of screw him they don't play it and it's got a real cult around that this one song. And he recorded other songs with them. I mean, he, he recorded I'll Never Have More Than This is another song that he did with them that I happened to, that he did with her, that he I think is fantastic. In fact, everything he did with her It's all is, awesome. Is I mean, that great. album is, is worth listening to in, in full. But I'm sure that Ike probably loved the fact that that album stiffed. And, I totally. And made her feel worse. And he made her re-record it in his version, which is, you know, ridiculous. Uh, I mean, I like his version, because I, I like him. R- about River Deep, um, George Harrison, um, it, at the time, was quoted as calling in a, quote, a perfect record from start to finish. You couldn't improve on it. Wow. And, uh, you know, I feel pretty close to that about that record but it also specter ended up having a nervous breakdown after it didn't do as well as he thought really? he thought it was going to be the next you've he was coming off i think you've lost that love and feeling which uh-huh. was a huge huge yeah. hit for the righteous brothers and uh he you know it's one of these early songs where they're like in in 30 minutes we will hear the new phil Spector production I in see. 10 minutes and it didn't do well and he kind of became a recluse for the next three years he reemerges with the Beatles, really. Oh wow! But um, it's a very interesting. He kind of her, their stories are intertwined. Well, he's not the only one because she uh, attempts suicide in 1968 yeah. after the album. Um, uh, I, I she reached her limit mm-hmm. with with Ike, and um, I think there was a lot of expression that happened with with Phil. Um, she had a, a a love before that she talks about before Ike, um, and I think she probably tapped into that feeling for for those uh, for that record. But yeah, she um, she goes to the hospital. Stomach is pumped. It's it's pills, um, and then she wakes up. And she's still here. And uh, she says that from that moment on, uh, she had this viewpoint of, you know, I'm still here for a reason. I didn't like, I didn't like my life. I didn't like the singing. And then a picture would come and there I was on the stage, this horrible looking person. And my life was horrible. The pictures were horrible. 
The songs I was singing was horrible. That was my existence, the star that people thought I was. But I, I made the best of it because I think some kind of way I did feel that was the vehicle to get me where I needed to, to go to. And, and and what happens next in the, in the 70s is like, I would say, a real sort of honing of of the Ike and Tina sound um, as she's also determining how she's going to get away from this guy. Yeah. So the songs, in my opinion, these are the best, in, in my opinion, these are not only the best Ike songs, these are the best Tina songs. They, these are the songs working together, which comes um, in around 71 um, and has Nutbush City Limits. It has Proud Mary, um, which is a huge hit for them and really sort of brings that vibe that they have live to a record. Um, it, it puts it on vinyl and it's it's an awesome, awesome record. Yeah, you, you know, um, the uh, believe it or not, the Spectre thing, you know, uh, Ike refused to record Proud Mary and Tina was the one who was always interested in sort of white rock and roll. Yeah. She liked the Beatles, yeah. even though he wouldn't really let her listen to any of it. And she liked that song Proud Mary. She said, we should record it. And then Spectre records it with the Checkmates as one of his comeback things in 1969. And Ike hears that version and he's like, let's do a version like that. And, but let's do it better. And they, that's, I mean, Proud Mary is like the, her, is it kind of really becomes her signature tune in a way that people thought uh, River Deep Mountain High would. You know, every now and then I think you might like to hear something from us. Nice and easy. But there's just one thing, you see, we never ever do nothing nice and easy. We always do it nice and rough. We're going to take the beginning of this song and do it easy. But then we're going to do the finish. Rough. It's the way we do Proud Mary. Rolling. Rolling. Rolling river. Listen to the story now. You know, I, I think there, there's a couple different labels in there. And, you know, one of my favorite songs of the entire discography is called Funkier Than a Mosquito's Tweeter. Do you Which know is, song? That's on that album as well. Yeah. It's, well, it's a little before that, I think, oh, uh, okay. working they, together. But gotcha. it was written by her sister. I mean, Nutbush City Limits is written by Tina. Yeah. But Funkier Than a Mosquito's Tweeter is written by her sister. Nina Simone makes a famous cover. But here's Funkier Than a Mosquito's It's tweeter. great. You're nothing but a dirty, dirty old man You do your thinking with a one-track mind You keep preaching about heaven and glory But on your face it shows a different story Clean up your rap, your story's getting dusty Wash out your mouth, your lies are getting rusty I can't believe nothing you say Cause I'm around and I see what you do You know you're fucking up than a mosquito's tweeter You got a mouth like a herd of a weaver Same old game, you never change Always rapping about the same old thing Blowing minds is the thing of the past. So good. Ugh. There's a song on there around this time recorded called Popcorn. 
I love popcorn. That you, it was a very Put some cheddar cheese very on dirty, it. but it's got the most insane sound effects. I mean, let's let's hear a, a snip, smidgen of popcorn because this is the. You're right. I think basically from this is the sound. 68 to like 72 is a, almost everything they record is awesome. Yeah, it's like and six, it's just got a driving power to it. Funky, that's sort of yeah. There's so there's shaft. There's a bunch of songs that are that are like that that are worth a mention. There's there's Baby Get It On, which is awesome. You get mm-hmm. to hear Ike do trade off vocals, which um, I happen to like when they do that. His yeah. vocals are, are not great, but it's fun to listen to. Uh, Chopper is a silly song about a, I a like guy Chopper. and his chopper. I like Chopper. <laughs> um, there, what you don't see is is better yet. Um, get it, get it. I love that song. Um, but then uh, I mentioned working together and then uh, there's some interesting things happening on working together that sort of tap into more of a kind of a hippie Woodstock, Woodstock vibe, um, like the title track, which is to me, the the album cover for, for working together is the two of them side by side sort of staring off like into the distance and just the title working together, it's so ironic. I mean, it could, it's all It's so untrue, front. yeah, it's right. Everything about But working together is a beautiful song. Let me, let me play that. Great. And yet the sheet, he sort of sees after they do, they do two tours with the Stones. Yeah. One of which is, you know, they it was were. It's on Gimme Shelter, right? It's Gimme, yeah. And um, one of they which. They do that Otis Redding song. Yeah, they do. They're uh, they're they're the, one of the opening acts at Altamont. When you say Gimme Shelter, you're talking about the Maisel uh, oh, yeah, documentary. Yeah, yeah. Sorry, sorry. Um, they're one of the opening. They're, they're there at Altamont. And so the, the Stones absolutely love. Tina Turner mm. and this is uh, so they tour with them twice and during this time Ike is seeing well there's a whole other market and let's start playing a little bit more rock and roll and uh, meanwhile those guys again going back to who Ike the, the legend of Ike all these guys worship at the altar of Ike yeah, like, they, they want to when they were teenagers yeah yeah when they were teenagers this is what the Jeff Beck Keith Richards all those guys 
worship Ike, but then I feel like there's a turn that happens when they realize like Tina's Tina's, Tina's who they want to and, and and who who they're increasingly trying to emulate. They're yeah. stealing her moves. I mean, uh, we talk about Jagger. I always think Robert Plant sounds a lot like her. I th- and 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 um, you start to get her really going to town covering uh, like Zeppelin. I mean, she records whole lot of love. I think in like mid seventies, early seventies. Oh, right? is it? I mean, it's like here, here, here's here's a here's a little bit of that. singing about cheating on your wife or your husband to those kids those kids can't relate to that you know they're naughty they want to hear some fun things rock and roll is fun it's full of energy it's full of laughter it's naughty to me a lot of rhythm and blues songs are depressing they are because it's a culture you're writing about in a way of life rock and roll is white basically because white people haven't had that much of a problem so they write about much lighter things and funnier things uh, she's almost like oh this is what you're trying to do let me show you how to do it yeah no for sure and yet she still likes the anglicized take on it she, she she sort of she likes to you know they say that the the british took the black r&b and anglicized it and then sold it to a white audience in america and then the, she's like taking that and building on top of that with another layer of kind of the, the original thing but it's not she's not trying to de she, she's trying to escalate it because like i listen to her version of like i can see for miles by the who or right she becomes really she does really good job with acid queen in the tommy movie right and she plays that that's her first acting that's role 1974 and also sort of her second opportunity for escape yeah she at, you know she had the film moment of getting away from ike and then she goes to london and is able to shoot this movie and get away from him um and then i and i think there. Uh, she befriends Anne Margaret, who's also in the movie. Is yeah, that right? Sure, yeah, um, <laughs> she's definitely in that movie with the baked beans. Yeah, a lot of it was seeing uh, Anne Margaret Olsen, Anne Margaret Olsen Smith show. She ah, oh, she had male dancers and the greatest costumes, and they performed. And she didn't have a record. I thought, well, I can do that, <laughs> and I wanted to do that. I knew then that I could decide what tempos the song should be when they're still fast, but <laughs> but it's my tempo. It's everything then was mine. I all of the times on stage I felt I wanted to sing more ballads. I felt at that moment I was going to do whatever I wanted to do. I was thrilled. She really resolves like I, I, I got to get away from this yeah. guy. Yeah, I mean cause it's been a lot of years, yeah. you know, from that suicide attempt in like '68. Right. Um, once cocaine enters the picture oh, for Ike Turner, so that's she about says, like 74, 75, like maybe even earlier, but she, and certainly in the movie that they make it sound, seem like she said he took a, a kind of a pretty bad guy yeah. and turned him evil. That's yeah. how she, that's how she says it. You trying to help Ike? Ike the motherfucker that need help. You the one that needs some help. What y'all think about this song, huh? Huh? No, no. Oh, it ain't cool. It ain't cool till I say it's cool. This Ike and Tina. And you gonna sing like I tell you to sing. You gonna sing this motherfucker till you get it right. You understand me? 
so she comes back from England. Yep. Um, and they have like a legit physical fight where she fights back and it gets really bloody. I'm sure it was bloody many times before. Um, but, uh, this is it. It was just time to not take any more. It was constantly abusive, other things going on. There was no control. There was no freedom. It was just the sameness, sameness and the violence. And you just get fed up and you say, life is not worth living if I'm going to stay in this situation. And I stayed there as long as I did because I was trying to help him from the beginning when he told me about his life and how hard it was for him to get a career going. And I promised him that I would never leave him. And I actually stayed because of that promise. But then it got to the point where it became really bad, really bad. So it's time to go. Once that fight is over, she goes to her hotel room and sort of resolves to herself that that she's going to play along for the next like hour or so, but then get the hell out, which she does. She runs away. She has whatever cash which is not very much well, on, in her this, pockets. She goes to another hotel yeah. and they, they actually dramatize it in the movie. Okay. Scene for scene. And she goes to a hotel and she says, um, she's got bruises everywhere and bleeding. And she says, I'm Tina Turner. I'm performing across the street tonight. I have uh, a dollar to my name. I, I uh, please give me a room. I will pay you. And this kindly, you know, finally she runs into a nice man. It seems like, mm-hmm. and he puts her up in their best suite and um, brings her up hot soup and posts bodyguards outside. Uh, and Damn. it's this real moment of like deliverance that is almost seems tailor made for Hollywood. Yeah. In a way that but she says this is the beginning, of the end, but it's not the end. I always wanted to say this because it's common knowledge that Ike took everything, but he didn't. I learned how to survive with Ike. I learned how to perform. I learned how to cover songs and work without a record. That's what I learned. That's what I left him with, knowing that I could always work. And that's bottom line for me now. If I don't have a record, I can always get work because I'm a performer. Performer first, record artist now, singer second. She's, uh, you know, she's making solo albums at this point, but they're all really Ike solo albums. Right. She has uh, Tina... Tina turns on country, I think. Yeah, there's a country. Turn tune. turns the country on. <laughs> That's a great title. Sorry, I screwed that up. No. Tina turns the country on! Exclamation point, which is a country album. Um, but you, she she's she's doing all this stuff and she's hiding out. She goes to Wayne Shorter, you know, who is the, the jet. I think he's in Weather Report. Okay, his wife is like the person who shelters Tina during this time. Okay, and uh, they uh, she lives there, but then like every couple of weeks, she someone from Ike's camp comes over and shoots out her windows and yeah. like uh, like drive by gun stuff right and it's absolutely frightening when you and think ike's about pulling it. out all this yeah right he's pulling out all the stops to get her back to scare the hell out of her but it's not working no it's finally he's clearly like she's basically and she's she's has no money and she's getting sued for the tour that she stepped out of yeah um and i think she gets hit by the irs and she's got no money so she's taking whatever gigs she can get hollywood squares hollywood squares <laughs> but what i love is that Cher has just gotten divorced from Sonny and is kind of going through the same thing and they sort of team up together and learn from each other and sort of hit uh, hit Vegas and and basically create lounge acts um, 
to make money. There's a, there's a lot of these little circles that they run in and these women that support each other in really beautiful ways yeah. and share is one of them and like the, Oprah sits down with them at one point like, oh, really? talk, like later and they, I remember they talked to her like how do you feel about getting old and, and Tina Turner's like oh I think it's great I'm loving Leonardo and they're like Cher how do you feel about it she says I think it sucks <laughs> <laughs> and you're like well I get that okay I see it I see the difference but she then she becomes a cabaret act um, she does a disc album does a disco album people say it's not but she and she you know bob seeger famously covers nutbush city limits on live that's live right bullet and she covers uh fire down below fire down below on one of these early solo records it's kind of a highlight of these stuff yeah, yeah. and throughout you know she's really going hardcore into rock and roll yeah she's decided she really likes rock and roll not not um funk or r&b mm-hmm. if anything people are it's a little confusing but how many sort of white uh uh, rock artist she covers she covers a lot of the who she covers a, a lot, lot of the i mean stone. what do we have here we have uh drift away uh we have only women bleed oh, by alice <laughs> cooper <laughs> it's not a, a great version <laughs> it's interesting because it's the female perspective on what should be a female perspective song in the first place but um i still like alice's uh, version better um like you said acid queen um under my thumb yep. is happens uh, in, in one of the earlier albums. Um, yeah, there's a lot of those. You can find some curiosities. Oh, she also becomes friends with Olivia Newton-John. Yes, which pays off. Which in pays a big off way. big time. But well, let me ask you this before we move into the, the, the her sort of last chapter here. When did what was your when did you first know about Tina Turner? Like, what is your experience with her personally? We never we usually talk about that. It was Thunderdome, which which we'll get to, um, and Me too. and then but she was everywhere in the early eighties. Um, Eighty three is is basically our next big move here, um, and and we'll talk about sort of how that rolls out, and it's really interesting. Um, but she was everywhere. Yeah, you know that's honestly uh, for me it's it's uh, anti entity too. Yes, yeah. it's, it's Thunderdome. It's two men enter, one man leave. <laughs> but, the wheel. Um, so, so yeah, the story goes that she's sort of at her wit's end doing this cabaret act and, and making money because she's got all these children and she still needs to finance all these lawsuits and things like that. Yeah. She, she decides to give Ike everything in order to just be free of him. The only thing she wants is her name, which she gets. Um, and she somehow meets Olivia Newton-John's uh, manager. manager or convinces Olivia Newton-John's Roger manager Davies. to uh, handle her. Yep. And he decides we need to redo everything. If we want you touring for real, you've got to, you've got to, he's basically, um, we can start with uh, changing your band, your clothes, your music, and uh, your uh, dance moves. Sometimes I think critics don't realize how critical they are because they are not realistic. I mean, who would, you see the footage here, who would go back and live in that bush all of your life? And it's the same as, People that say that I turned my back on my music, but I'm more successful now than I've ever been in my life. So who's right? And who knows what is best for me? You make the moves in your life that you need to. You accept what people say about you critically. 
if you're strong enough to handle it. And that's how I live my life. Because the moves that I've made have been positive ones. Because she says she wants to fill stadiums on a on a what was then a Rod Stewart level. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and she that's sort of the the first step. She she does hot legs on SNL with with Rod Stewart. Yeah. Um, and then there's another performance with Kim Carnes um, in L.A. Uh, where they do um, Stay With Me. Yeah. Where yeah. Rod, with Rod Stewart at, at the end goes, <laughs> it's, it's the weirdest thing. He keeps going. Tina Turner, Kim Carnes. Tina Turner, Kim Carnes, Kim Carnes, Tina Turner, Tina Turner, Kim Carnes. It turns out Tina duetted with everyone, and she sucks about. I always thought was she doing that for uh, commercial reasons, but she was like, I was so excited to be working with other people who weren't Ike. So she duets. She has this famous duet with David Bowie tonight, which is kind of yeah. a simple song. It's okay. Yeah. She has a famous uh, duet with Mick Jagger at um, it, during I think Live Aid or uh, one of those things. She does State of Shock. She right. sings the Michael Jackson uh, part of State of Shock. Right. And then the greatest, I think, the greatest of her. Um, is with her one with Brian Adams? It's only love. Really, you like that, huh? Well, uh, thank you for saying <laughs> it that I, in that I, I respect. Just Brian, Ard- Brian Adams just. Well, well, Lex, let me let me let me let me lay this on you. Brian Adams and Jim Valance. Brian, who'd been obsessed with Tina Turner, he had just uh, he had done the cuts like a knife record or uh, the, right. the, whatever that record is, and um, he, in order to pay the bills, he was co-writing songs, including. With Gene Simmons. What? He co-wrote, he and Jim Valance co-wrote two songs on Creatures of the Night. (laughs) What? Two songs on Creatures of the Night. And then he goes basically immediately from there, that's 1982, to work with Tina Turner on that. So that's one of the links I had was dying to spring. I love that. I love that. And they're like, they wrote, they feel like they wrote War Machine completely. And then Gene said, "Ah, actually, I wrote 20% of it. Like, how? (laughs) How did that work, Gene? They're like, Gene taught us a valuable lesson that you need to get everything writing um <laughs> but so she, and she's she's recording though she records these inc- these songs that become the private dancer record right sort of uh, so um she has a live performance at the ritz and uh bowie's there and uh, i think it's just one thing after another bowie sort of facilitates uh these at least the beginning of these songs um and he's like my she's my favorite singer but it wasn't only bowie because the night that of her Big Ritz performance, Bowie comes with Susan Sarandon yeah. and uh, Keith Richards and uh, John McEnroe. That's right. John McEnroe. They're all there and then they hang up till super late that night. And it's this like epic night. Ron Wood shows up and McEnroe is... I well, it's love not a party without McEnroe. Ron Wood, let's face it. And I know. And they, uh, but she starts to collect songs for this record that there's going to be a real rock record. And, uh, and Roger Davies is, is sort of pulling in these, these mega songwriters like Chinny Chap, uh, right, for um, Better Be Good To Me? I think they, they helped with that. Yeah. Um, I know that um, yeah, Holly Knight helped with that too, didn't she? Yes. And uh, so, and then there's... Um, Private Dancer with Knopfler. Which is Dire Straits. That was left over. How on earth Knopfler planned to sing that as a man? I don't know. It's a strange idea. It's a s- but then they also back... Uh, Dire Straits also backs and Dire Straits is huge at this point yep. uh, they back her on Steel Claw which is one of my favorite tracks off the record <laughs> Steel Claw is 80s nonsense <laughs> as far as I'm concerned the story of the Steel Claw it's the tale of the 
it is the 80s full force and then you get what's love got to do with it which is the great number one song on there right so that album when it comes out in 84 recorded in 83 is is a powerhouse she goes on tour she um she opens for Lionel Richie, but eventually the album is just going it's crazy. A, it's a number one single. I mean, it's it's comeback Tina in a, in a major way. Also, I want to point out that Tim Capello plays saxophone on Private Dancer. You Toto? know what no. no. He is the saxophone player in The Lost Boys, the grease chest. Uh, uh, do you know that dude? No. Oh. Oh. I'll, I'm going to show you a clip after this and, and you'll, you'll enjoy. I mean, there's a lot of stuff that, I mean, Stan, and random, so they're like, we got to put a David Bowie cover on here. And the, the song they choose is 1984 off Diamond Dogs, which is an incredible song. Originally, they wanted Mick Ronson to be the producer on the record. Huh. That could have been great. Yeah. Mick, I mean, Rick, it would have been a different experience. I don't, uh, it I don't pro- think it would have hit. It wouldn't have hit like, like that. So uh, from there, uh, she well, gets, it's Thunderdome. Is she gets cast by George. George Miller in Thunderdome. But first is offered by Spielberg, uh, Color Purple. And she says, I don't want to do something so serious. Right. It's too close I love, to my she's life. She's basically a like genre that. fan. She's like, I always love the Mad Max movies. Yeah, she's like, I, she's like uh, Road Warrior might be my favorite movie of all time. And I thought, how great Tina, is that? It's basically my favorite movie of all time, too. <laughs> <laughs> so great and she's, she's fantastic shaves her own head um she said she just royally, had a blast on that i feel it's royally underrated i think it's a fantastic movie yeah i think it's underrated as well it gets it gets uh kicked in the crotch a little bit by um super mad max fans as, no, as the, the pg-13 be. entry but it's awesome nothing's gonna stand up to uh, she's great in Road it Warrior. yeah she's amazing in it she just looks so freaking cool too it's so cool so i mean i don't really i kind of lose the plot after that i do like the song typical male i've always so, loved that yeah song. yeah let's play typical male because i like that song too tell me Just 
I think that album has a, has some great songs on it. It has "Girls" by Bowie, as you yeah, mentioned. She wrote, she, he wrote that for her. Yeah, and then she, like you said, she also uh, sings tonight on his album. Mm-hmm. Around the same time, they do a weird Pepsi commercial called "The Creation," where Bowie is this nerdy inventor who's tearing up magazines of models and sticking them in a machine. Then he spills a Pepsi on the machine, and out comes Tina Turner like a lady Frankenstein, and like blasts him with like a power wave and he becomes cool david bowie Ooh, i haven't you seen gotta this. see it i it's love great. that she she's a i mean then uh the best is around this time too that it means comes she's, on the next she's, album she's not um her hits aren't over she they continue to but everybody's working with her she works with phil collins on that album uh clapton winwood um she's the biggest thing and it turns out she's uh, basically we are all the world guys favorite you know? singers you know she she is like yeah. and her look is so iconic at this point and that's the look i grew up with it it was a it was a discovery for me that she was like something before the tina turner of the 80s and that she was having the second win and she's like in her mid 40s i mean it's very it's awesome i mean she was broke and basically she could have given up she won the grammy and then she's um uh it's a, it is a true redemption story. Did you believe that you were going to be Tina Turner? In other words, was it going to happen for you? I n- never thought about it then because I was just relieved not to be in a recording studio. I think I, I didn't even think about it then because I didn't want it. I just wanted to be a real person, just to live for a second and get up in the morning and see the light of day mm-hmm. and the green and the nature. And when I start to think about it, it starts to happen. And what I never let go of was all of this. I wanted to live well. I always saw things that I wanted, but I knew that I didn't have a chance or a clue because I didn't even have the freedom of decorating my own house at that time. And I wanted that. I, I just had that lust to be able to, to have my own place as I wanted it. And I never let, I never let go of that. And what I did best was to sing. And never, as far as I can make out, never a bit of self-pity. No. I'm a happy person normally. I don't dwell. I don't suffer and moan and whinge, as they call it over here. I, I'm not a complainer. I'm basically an up person. Even in my, my worst moments there, I still found time to laugh and loud. It's my nature. Because, you know, what can you do once it's done? You just must keep, go forward. And that's, that's how I've lived my life. So what's your, what's your top five? Do you have a top five? Um, yeah. I so I mentioned Baby Get It On because I feel like that's sort of the quintessential when when the Ike and Tina like sound really like crystallized. It's it's that. Um, also, I love What You Don't See Is Better Yet, um, which also has that sound. Um, man, it's good. And then Working Together, which I played uh, Acid Queen as a, as a nod to one of the the many like. Um, you know British invasion songs that she covers. I really like it. Yeah. Um, and then uh, it was a toss-up for me in the '80s between "Typical Male" or "Better Be Good to Me." I like Ooh. both those songs a lot. That's a great list, and it doesn't really overlap with mine because mine, uh, "River Deep Mountain High" is is definitely on the list for oh. me. And if that's too iconic, then I would just go with um, "I'll Never Need More Than This," which is the sort of you could just A or B of that. Um, then I love Funkier Than a Mosquito's Tweeter. That's number oh, good. two. I, there's a song that she does called Up on the Roof. Oh, yeah, that's wonderful. Is which like, is like a, a, 
because so much of their early stuff is is about bad feelings Mm -hmm. up on the roof is about escape and it's so positive it is it's sort of a, a, a breath of fresh air. Here. You're right. It's it's great. And then I I really like um, her cover of 1984. I think is just awesome. And then I'm gonna go with Goldeneye for the last one. Oh. I mean, it's a, that's maybe uh, sacrilegious, but uh, popcorn is in there. Is it's just something that I, I, I can't you. get over the the sound of it. Um, so. Oh, and I also uh, one other connection. We we mentioned uh, that uh, Gloria Johnson was one of the I Sorry, Gloria Jones was one of the Icats, um, and and uh, Mark Bolan was her boyfriend. But evidently, have you heard this rumor that he played guitar on that Bush City Limits? What? Yeah. Mark Bolan? Yeah. T Rex. Well, there you have it, everyone. There you have That's... it. We'll leave it. We'll drop it on that. However, we can't talk about Tina Turner without playing We Don't Need Another Hero. Yes! <laughs> we are the children of the last generation. We are the ones they left behind. 